The demand for alternative, faster, greener, and cheaper means of commuting and traveling around the city continues to rise and evolve, especially with people preferring open air outdoor options during the pandemic. Revel, which is a shared electric moped company, began offering their signature blue mopeds on New York City streets in 2018. The mopeds were quickly embraced by New Yorkers in the neighborhoods they initially served, which included North Brooklyn and Western Queens. That all came to a screeching halt this past July when New York City asked the service to be reviewed after the death of three riders. After implementing several safety measures and curbs to the service hours, Revel returned to New York City streets with their 3,000 plus mopeds just a few weeks later. To discuss how Revel was founded, how it was expanded to service cities around the country, and how Revel came back to serve its biggest market, New York City. I have the CEO and co-founder, Frank Reed, with us today. Great to have you, Frank. Thanks for being here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So I'd really love to hear your story on how you started and, and grew Revel. Um, but before we get into that, I would love for you just to explain to our listeners, you know, what Revel is as a company and how people use it. So Revel, for those that maybe don't live in New York City or, or in one of the six markets that we're in, we're currently the country's largest electric vehicle platform. So Revel operates 6,000 plus electric mopeds. So think in your head, the smallest type Vespa you could ever imagine, mm -hmm. except it tops out at 30 miles an hour and is 100% electric. So we operate over 6,000 of those vehicles across six different markets. Uh, starting in New York, we operate in four of the boroughs, Bronx, Manhattan, Queens, Brooklyn. Uh, we also operate in Washington, DC, Miami, and three cities in the Bay Area, Oakland, Berkeley, and San Francisco. And then talk about it, because it's really amazing to watch people like walk up to them. How they literally use it with the app? So maybe some folks are familiar with maybe City Bike in New York City, which is very, I'll call it station-based. You have to dock the bicycle at specific locations. With this electric mobile service with Revel, it's, I'll call it a free-floating system. So because it's a motor vehicle, and because the motor vehicle has a license plate with any state DMV that we operate in, so the reason why I mentioned that is it parks and rides in the street. So think of wherever a car can go in a city, Revel can go and can park there. So you can do A to B within a city and not have to take it back to A. It's simply a one-way trip, free floating. And in terms of the user experience, you simply need a driver's license, you need to be over 21, and you sign up through the app. There's a safety training you need to go through, but essentially you, you are ready to ride. So we'll get into a little bit more of that, but I love the story of startups. And obviously you've grown a lot as a company, starting as a trial in New York and now serving, you know, cities across the country. So talk to me about your story. Why did you start it? You know, had you come up with the concept and, and how you grew from the beginning? So I can answer that question in, in so many different ways. I guess I'll just start with, I'm a born and bred New Yorker, right? Spent the first 18 years of my life on Staten Island. I went to SUNY Binghamton, Rutgers, Columbia University during my undergraduate and graduate years. Probably the last 12 years, I've been a resident of either Bushwick or, or where I am now in Crown Heights. So definitely New Yorker through and through. And I think, you know, we can talk about the founding story, but I think, you know, Revel started really with moving back to Brooklyn in 2008 after university. And it is just so hard to get around this city, especially mm -hmm. when you're in the outer boroughs. You know, right before we started taping this podcast, you know, we were just talking about that trip from Williamsburg or Greenpoint down into downtown Brooklyn and yeah. how literally there's really no way to do that trip with public transit. You know, you need another type of vehicle. So I think at the base of this, 
I wanted to start in New York because that's where I've spent pretty much my entire life, um, a New Yorker through and through, and also just living here, working here, and my frustrations with getting around in this city. And I just thought this would be the perfect vehicle type to, to start here. So Revel was initially started, I guess, um, in, in parts of New York City. And you mentioned um, that it's now available throughout different boroughs. But could you give a better sense of where exactly your service areas in New York City are and how that was determined? Sure. So, you know, from day one, when I first had this idea, you know, that was January 2018. So coming up on three years ago now, mm-hmm. I had just come back from an overseas trip in South America and like where everywhere else I've traveled in my life, whether it's Asia, Europe, South America, rich, poor, doesn't matter. Mopeds are a thing, if not the dominant form of transportation on the street. So here I am back January 2018. I just come back from a trip in Argentina. That's the summer down there. Mopeds were everywhere. And I'm just here in New York thinking it is so hard to get around the city. There's so much congestion. Everyone's got an SUV. You can't park it. You can't even get through the streets here. Why are mopeds not a vehicle type in this city, right? So from that just base idea, January 2018, I just ran with it. Started doing research on this market, saw shared e-mopeds, electric mopeds start to kind of take off in Europe that I was reading about. And I just thought, you know what? Why don't I do it? Because if I don't do it, somebody else will. Mm-hmm. And that's really where it started. And, you know, and then my March of 2018, I'm quitting my job. I got my co-founder on board and we are starting to raise money. And, you know, I'd never done a startup before. I didn't even know how to raise money. So we put together sometimes every now and then I'll look back at some of the old investor pitch decks that we had. And it's, it's a little embarrassing. I'm not going to lie. But people started to give us checks. 5,000 here, 10,000 here. Folks would then introduce us to other people in their network. And before you know it, We'd raised a million dollars by that summer of 2018 to launch this service. And we ended up launching in 2018, uh, a pilot of 68 electric mopeds. And at that time, for especially those in, in New York City, you can remember in 2018, that was when the L train was gonna shut down. Right. Uh, obviously at the last second, it didn't shut down, but we thought what better place to launch than where an entire community is gonna lose their subway. So that was the initial pilot area, summer of 2018. It was sort of Bushwick, Williamsburg, Greenpoint, 68 electric mopeds. And we just proved the model from there. We proved that it worked. We proved that there's nothing in American DNA that they don't want to ride this vehicle. People seem to love it right off the bat. And then back to your kind of your original question of like, how did you expand? We just expanded responsibly from there. You know, by the next summer, we expanded to fleet to a thousand mopeds, covered more of Brooklyn and Queens. We just sort of from that pilot area, expanded north and south and east and west, uh, went from about five square miles to close to 30. And then by the spring, summer of 2020, we did the same thing. We then expanded into the Bronx, we expanded into Manhattan. And that expansion happened right when COVID really hit the city. And we expanded with city support into these new boroughs, meaning Manhattan and the Bronx, and also further into Brooklyn and Queens by offering free rides to all healthcare workers. We thought, hey, listen, Everyone went back inside their apartment, unless you're an essential worker, and demand across all transportation was way down. So we have these vehicles, let's use them. So about 3,000 healthcare workers signed up during that point. I think we had about 200,000 miles driven free in the system. So that was a great sort of um, thing that we could do for the city at that time. That's terrific. So convenience is obviously important, but uh, there were three deaths of riders uh, on Rebel Mopeds in New York City, and the service was shut down by the city. So how were you able to work with the city to resume service? And what steps did you take or put in place to make the service safer? After about two and a half years, so you fast forward to July of 
2020, this past summer. We had done over 10 million miles on the system in New York City. We had done over 3 million mile, uh, 3 million trips. So just to give you some sort of perspective in terms of just scale and how many trips we're really talking about here. Mm-hmm. And what we experienced, especially in, in sort of June and July, was we had been operating in 2018, a pretty large system, a thousand mopeds across most of Brooklyn and Queens in 2019. And of course, there's always the outlier here and there, but I think most people can agree, you know, rider behavior was really good. People were wearing helmets. We just didn't really quite have issues that maybe other forms of two-wheeled mobility have in cities that I'm sure folks have read about. The system had really working for two years. But I think there was a confluence of sort of factors leading into July of 2020. You had about 200,000 New Yorkers sign up for Revel in a 60-day span. Hmm. So in terms of the demand for the product and what we were seeing, that was pretty incredible. But it was, it was a lot of new users all at once. You think um, that conversion of people that were taking the subway that didn't want to? Exactly. Yeah. Because people were looking for other options outside of public transit. I mean, you have 200,000 New Yorkers sign up in 60 days. Clearly, there's demand for products that can get you around a city without having to take public or be in crowded spaces. And that was all coming out of quarantine. So I think what we saw was, you know, people cooped up in their apartments for 10, 12 weeks. And then in early June, sort of protests that, I mean, I've been in city since March. I haven't really left or gone anywhere. They were incredible, those protests. I mean, I participated in a lot of them myself. Uh, but I think it definitely lent to a lot of just turmoil in the city. Uh, people cooped up in their apartments, protests, and then that sort of started to translate into riding behavior. We started seeing riding behavior that we had never seen before, not for the prior two years that we had operated. And the amount of folks that weren't wearing helmets had exponentially decreased over that two-month period. So you said it yourself. Uh, and there were two fatal crashes in a pretty short period of time. And um, just to correct one, one thing that you said, we temporarily paused our own service. I remember calling the DOT commissioner and saying, listen, we need to take accountability as, as a company. We need to take a step back and we're pausing the service right now. I'm just calling to let you know. And I want to work with your team to uh, relaunch with the appropriate safety enhancements. That's exactly what we did. Worked with the mayor's office, worked with the Department of Transportation, worked with the entire New York City Transportation Council uh, committee on the council. And we relaunched exactly a month later on August 28th with full written support from the city. And I think, I know my team is really proud of everything that we implemented. So now every single time you ride Rebel, you have to take a selfie of that helmet strapped on your head. And if there's a passenger, uh, just for those folks on this podcast, every Rebel, you can have a passenger on the back. And over 20% of our rides have two people. Mm -hmm. Um, So even the passenger has to take a helmet selfie. And then every single selfie is looked at by my team. These don't go into some corporate black box somewhere and aren't looked at. So we need to talk about accountability. Hmm. Um, and I think that has increased the amount of helmet usage since we've relaunched exponentially in the right direction, uh, which has been awesome to see. So if they're not um, wearing a helmet, you literally have the option to not let them turn on the moped? So if they send in a, a selfie where that helmet is not on their head, we have actually permanently suspended several thousand users uh, who don't take it seriously enough. Um, who think we don't look at these or this is not important. Uh, those are paying customers. So again, when you talk about a company taking accountability, um, suspending thousands of your own users, because guess what? You either follow the rules or you don't, or you're not going to be able to use the service. And then the other part of this was a 42-question safety training 
that was mandatory for every single user. So before you're able to ride again, you have to go through that safety training. And I think that has done a fantastic job of riding the ship of what we saw in June and July, of sort of that turmoil period of the city across all forms of mobility, keep in mind, not just mopeds. And I think that has done uh, a lot for us as a company. I think people see it on the streets here in New York. Since we've relaunched just the rider behavior, the amount of helmet usage, it's gone back to what we had in 2019 and 2018, which is a service that is super valuable for this city um, and is a value add at the end of the day in a big way. So you mentioned also you service Austin, uh, Miami, Washington, D.C., Oakland, and San Francisco. What, whatever lessons have you learned by expanding into other markets? Because I'm sure each market has their own rules or usages. So what other things did you learn by entering other markets? I think just maybe taking a step back here, when you say, what have I learned going to other markets? You know, we've grown, we've grown from a me, my co-founder, and a couple of initial employees that we hired to get the pilot off the ground. So call it a team of almost five people. And we're at close to 300 employees now. Wow. Right. Less than three years later. Um, so that's an incredible amount of growth. So that brings with it its own growing pains. Sure. Uh, I'm sure you know, you know, running your own business, um, especially that sort of time period to grow the team of that size. So I think, you know, some of the things I've learned just from a more company perspective is that growing a business is really hard. Um, scaling is really hard and to do it well is really hard. I think something that Revel, uh, sort of our reputation is that we're the best operator in any city we operate in. Talk to the Department of Transportation of DC, New York, Miami, San Francisco. They're going to say really good things. Um, so I think keeping that reputation in every single city we launch in, again, takes a lot of work. Because uh, there's getting a permit to a city and then launching a city, and then a year later, making sure that city is saying good things about you and that community sees you as that value add. So I think that's, that's been something we've had to work really hard at. That sounds smart to me. Um, you, you obviously had some bumps along the road. The service was shut down in Austin, um, which I'm sure was surprising because it seems like a very youthful, young, growing uh, market, good temperature. So there's not seasonality to, to the usage. But what did you learn from that experience? And, and were you surprised by it at all? So I think what Austin taught us is that, well, A, I think it's just made us a better, stronger company. Uh, by launching in six different market types, every city we're in is a very different type city, more of a tourism city, more of a commuting city, uh, a seasonal weather city, a non-seasonal weather city. Um, how dense is the urban core? I think one thing that Austin taught us is that it is really hard to run a two-wheeled mobility service like this in a city where car ownership is above 90%. Hmm. So I think just that basic stat right there when you have that sort of level of car ownership, it's going it's to be really hard to turn the profit you need um, because people simply own their own, you know, four ton, four wheel vehicle. Uh, mm. So they're not looking for other ways to get around like in a DC or a New York or a San Francisco. So I think that's, that's probably the biggest thing. Um, I, I would also say we've probably gotten a little smarter as a team of, you know, if, as an example, if you had a Google search Austin population, it would say probably a million people, 900,000 people. But when you look at sort of, what is the area of Austin that a tourist would ever touch? What is the area of Austin that you would consider sort of the downtown areas? You know, about 200,000 people live there. Interesting. So it's actually a pretty small town that's very sort of spread out. Um, so I think that's another factor that I think was hard to overcome. Well, I guess it's like every growing business, you learn along the way a lot. Definitely, yes. So talk to me about the evolution of transportation post-pandemic in big cities across the country, including New York City. Because I mean, obviously, 
the pandemic, you saw this huge demand increase. But what do you think you see as hopefully we get through this pandemic, the way that cities are looking at transportation, how you guys fit into that? What this spring and summer taught us um, is that the demand for shared two-wheel mobility like an electric moped uh, is only going to increase. I mean, as I mentioned, 200,000 New York City users signing up in two months. I think the other part of that is we're going back into a COVID winter, right? We're in San Francisco, Oakland, and Berkeley. All of the California is under a severe, you know, strict lockdown right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think New York is basically heading that way. They already shut in indoor dining and we'll kind of see what's next. Um, DC and Miami are different stages of, of lockdown. So I think, you know, from my perspective, the next three or four months, my team is sort of locking down the hatches, thinking about saving wherever we can. It's sort of, we are going back into another COVID winter and, and we just need to, you know, operate with that as the future here. But that's the short-term future. Because I think by April, May, the vaccine will really start to hit a large you know, section of the population. The weather will start to get warmer. And I think a service like Revel is gonna be used more than ever come you know, April, May, June, uh, as sort of cities start their recovery from this officially, right? Because uh, this is the second lockdown, but I think my prediction, and I think most people share this, this is also the last lockdown. Um, so I'm really excited for what this spring summer is gonna show in terms of you know, just the benefits of a service like Revel to a city. Because I think we're gonna see similar things that we saw last summer, uh, just with a lot stricter safety protocols within the system. I think will help us out a lot. Um, and then I think there's an elephant in the room as well, just over everything post-COVID is public transportation mm. and funding. You know, definitely not my forte. I don't, I'm, I'm not a part of a transportation agency, but just an outside looking in, you know, people keep talking about there's a massive funding gap and we need the federal government money, whether you're the Metro in DC or the MTA in New York City or SFMTA in the BART train in, in the Bay Area, everyone needs money. And sure, a stimulus now, a large check now will help, but what is the longer term effects of a post-COVID world on transit agency revenues? Because people are just going to commute less. You know, that's just an elephant in the room of just, you know, post-COVID transit agencies, where are they going to get funding from? Our revenue, even post-COVID recovery, I think are going to be lower than a pre-COVID world. Um, so just what are they going to do? Because cities like in New York and in DC and, a, and the Bay Area, we absolutely need a well-funded public transportation. Outside of Revel, outside of everything else, you need that. Um, so that's just an elephant in the room that I think, honestly, people aren't talking about enough. Well, I guess we're also creatures of habit. And if you can get people used to using the mopeds or get new users that don't want to be in crowded spaces, potentially they just continue. So I think that that's certainly something that could be a benefit for you. You know, no, absolutely. Yep. I want to talk about e-scooters. My wife is from Northern California and I literally see e-scooters everywhere. And I literally mean everywhere in Northern <laughs> California, but they were recently approved to operate in New York City. And I know that there's tests going on now to have e-scooters and, and they're competing to see who will be kind of the e-scooter provider of New York City. So I'm curious if you see that as competition that's potentially detrimental to your business or you think it opens up people to just alternative transportation overall? I think, so there's two ways to answer that question. I think the first one, the reason why Revel, for instance, isn't participating in that pilot for e-kick scooters is that I don't believe in anything that is sort of sitting on the sidewalk at all times. I think it would dilute our brand. It's not a vehicle type, that free floating, 
e-kick scooter business, always on the sidewalks. Honestly, I think it just becomes sort of that sidewalk litter bucket. So it's an area we're not pursuing because I just, I have a hard time seeing how that really fits in into a city like New York. As dense as we are, as crowded as the sidewalks are, last thing you need is more things crowding those sidewalks. I think that's one of the main reasons why Revel has worked so well in a city like New York the last three years. It stays in the street, rides and parks in the street. There's no regulatory gray area. It's got a license plate. So I think that's been a huge benefit of us. And it's one of the reasons why I believe so much in this mode of transit in a moped. Um, you know, the other part is, you know, our, our average trip distance across all markets is over three miles. So our average trip distance, depending on the summer, it could be close to four miles. On the winter, it's, you know, a little less than three miles, but it's over three miles on a 12 month basis. That is not a last mile little kick scooter trip. That's not an inconvenient walk. So when I think of, you know, if you talk to a Rebel user in New York or DC, when they're walking out of a building, when they're walking out of their apartments and they're thinking, what should I take to get to where I need to be? They're thinking, do I take a Rebel or an Uber or Lyft? It's a very different type trip. So I think in terms of our competition, I think always Uber, Lyft, uh, that's what our users tell us. And it makes sense just from the average trip distance because that's more of a Uber, Lyft trip. Um, so I'm not too worried. I mean, we operate in many other cities like DC and Miami and the Bay Area with these kick scooters. And there are plenty of trips for everybody. And I think there are vehicle types for the different types of trips that make more sense. So this past year has been, you know, quite unique, shall we say, and challenging, I think, for all business owners. And, and you've talked through some of this a little bit, but I would love for you just to share, you know, maybe a core business or life lesson that you've run learning the company over the last year. Ooh, that's, a, that's a meaty one. I would say running a business like this, a, a high growth business, um, you know, revenues year over year over year exponentially increasing, headcount exponentially increasing. I've learned how little I know, right? So every single day, my team is teaching me. So I, I would say that that's one lesson, you know, and I would say another lesson would be, you know, for instance, yesterday, my team had a year of end kind of, uh, we'll call it like a recognition call. Uh, definitely didn't want to call it a holiday party. There's no holiday party over Zoom. That's that's not a party I want to be a part of, but more of a recognition call. And in front of the entire team, I, I got teary-eyed as I was talking because this has been a rough year on a personal level, on a professional level. So I think just making sure, you know, I always used to hear that term, bring your whole self to work. And I was like, well, what does that even mean? I think sometimes, especially in times like this, a year like this, you should, because you know what? Everyone's feeling the same thing. Yeah. Well, Frank, thank you so much for sharing them. And I have to say that in business, sometimes people do step up to the challenge, and those are the businesses uh, that succeed with the teams that that really rise up. So it's been a pleasure to, to get to learn more about you and Revel. Thank you so much for being with us. Same here. Thank you. Make sure to check out Schneps Connects, a new episode every week, wherever you stream your podcasts or online at podcast.schnepsmedia.com. <laughs>